Welcome back to Picture Scripture. The title of today's message is Burying the Talent, and we're going to be reading out of Matthew 25, 14 to 30. It is written, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now picture this. A wealthy CEO of a successful company decides to travel to some distant paradise island. Before he departs, he calls a meeting with three of his managers. In the meeting, the CEO announces that while he is away, they will all be granted a specific amount of money to use as an investment into the company. In addition, they will all have access to the creative arts department for help bringing ideas to fruition. Two of the managers feel honored that they would be allowed such an opportunity and they enthusiastically begin their assignments. The third manager, however, fearing that he is being set up for failure so that the company will have an excuse to fire him, immediately buries all the money given to him so that he can give it all back to the CEO when he returns. While the CEO is away, the creative arts department asked the third manager if he would like assistance accomplishing his goals, but the manager declines. Finally, when the CEO returns, the first two managers reveal that they have doubled their investments. With delight, the CEO gives them praise and tells them that he is going to put them in charge of a lot. The third manager, however, returns every cent to the CEO and then accuses the CEO of trying to set him up for mismanagement. The CEO sadly explains that he was not setting anyone up for failure. In stark contrast, he was rooting for their success. 
Further, the CEO explains that he was away finalizing details for the company to transfer locations to a paradise island and he was hoping to invite the managers to live and work there as partners in the company. The CEO then tells the disgruntled manager that because he cannot be trusted due to his hostility, the company would not be able to invite him to the new location, but that he also would not be able to remain at the old location because the old location will be torn down and will no longer exist. And at that, the security escorts the disgruntled manager out of the building and into the darkness of the night. Once again, we discover that this parable describes the Lord is going to prepare a place for us in the kingdom, as it says in John 14:2. Before Jesus departed by ascending up into heaven, he imparted all believers both with spiritual gifts and a specific allotment of resources. Read Romans 12:6-8 and 1 Corinthians 12 verses 4 to 11 and 28. The Lord quite literally entrusted everything in this world to us so that we may advance the kingdom of God. Matthew 25 verse 15 informs us that each person receives according to his or her own ability. Now this detail is important. None received more or less than they could handle. Therefore, it was not an unloving act for the master to give five talents to one, two talents to another, and only one talent to the other. Just as God shows no partiality, the master was not playing favorites either. If they failed their assignments, their excuse could not be that they were overwhelmed because they were given according to their ability. Failure would indicate only laziness or hatred toward the master. The issue is not how much we have, but if we use what we have been given and how we use what we have been given. In Exodus 4, 2-7, in response to Moses' doubts and fears about how effective he could actually be in communicating to the Israelites, God asked Moses, What is in your hand? Now ponder, Moses basically told God that he couldn't do what God was asking him to do because he didn't have what he needed to be able to do it. But God essentially asked Moses, what do you already possess? You keep bringing up excuses for the things you don't have, but you haven't even acknowledged what you do have. What's in your hand? And then God showed Moses that he could use even the most ordinary thing, such as a staff, to accomplish God's will. And then the Lord instructed Moses to put his hand inside his cloak in order to experience a miracle. All he had to do was reach inside. And once he did, he saw that the miracle was in his hand. And that miracle came directly from the Lord. So what can you find if you reach inside yourself to discover what the Lord has already given to you? Almost everything you need is already within you because God has given to you according to your abilities. So what has God entrusted to you? God often delights in using the ordinary for extraordinary purposes. What are the ordinary things in your life you already have that you can use? Is it your voice? Well, you can be a speaker. A pen, a writer, hammer, a carpenter, shovel, construction worker, broom, cleaner, musical instrument, musician, computer, engineer, or perhaps it is your very hands and you can be a sculptor. In this parable of the talents, the master gave the servants different amounts of talents. But this leads us to a curious question. What is a talent? 
Well, a talent was either a measure of weight or an amount of money. In other words, it was the amount of resources allotted to each person. Various metals were weighed using talents, and we can see this all throughout the Bible, especially Exodus. We see gold, silver, bronze. However, a talent was also a measure of money or currency, as you can see in 1 Kings 20.39 and Matthew 18.24. A talent weighed about 75 pounds, or 35 kilograms, and was equivalent to 60 minas. A mina was equivalent to 50 shekels, and a shekel was equivalent to two bekas, or 20 geras. The Jewish talent contained 3,000 shekels of the sanctuary, as we see in Exodus 30:13. The Hebrew term for talent was kekar, a flat, round, gold, or silver disc, or circular-shaped loaf. The Greek word is talenton. It's a large monetary measurement equal to 6,000 drachmas or denarii, the Greek and Roman silver coins. According to scholars, a talent was worth about 15 to 20 years pay for a laborer. Thus, this was no small amount of money that the master entrusted to the servants. The servant who received five talents literally received a lifetime of resources. And even the servant who received only one talent still received about 15 to 20 years of resources. So in Matthew 25 verses 16 to 17 now, it is written that the servant who received five talents immediately started using what he had been given in order to grow and prosper, to multiply and profit. Or in other words, he set out to be fruitful and multiply. Likewise, the one who received the two talents did the same. But in verse 18, it is written that the servant who was given one talent buried what he had been given and did not use it. And then it is written in verse 19 that after a long time, the master returned and settled accounts with them. Now this describes the second coming of Christ Jesus. Has it been a long time since the Lord has departed to go prepare a place for us? Yes. But when Jesus returns, he is going to settle accounts with everyone according to their deeds, as it is written in multiple scriptures throughout Jeremiah, Matthew, Romans, 2 Corinthians, and even Revelation. After all, it is written in Luke 12:48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So in Matthew 25, verses 20 to 23, it is written that the two servants who grew and prospered by using what they had been given were praised and deemed faithful. Not only were they commended, but they received more because they had been faithful with what they had been given. And finally, they were invited to enter the joy of their master. This represents the believers who enter the kingdom of God after having their works tested with fire, as we see in 1 Corinthians 3, 12-15, and then being judged before the great white throne, Revelation 20, 11 to 15. These are the people to whom God will say, well done, good and faithful one. So in Matthew 25, verses 24 to 28, the servant who buried what he had been given was allowed an opportunity to explain himself and defend his choices. I mean, after all, if this servant was going to be judged according to his deeds, it would only be fair for the defense to speak prior to pronouncing judgment, right? It's quite interesting that in his defense, he acknowledged the Lord as master. Well, of course he did. It is written that in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. 
as we see in Isaiah 45:23 and Romans 14:11. But the servant also claimed to know the master. But did he truly know the master? The servant, trying to reverse the scenario and put the master on trial, accused the master of being hard and unfair, saying that he reaps what he doesn't sow and gathers where he doesn't scatter seed. The servant concluded his argument by stating that he was afraid of losing what he was given because he was afraid of the master, and so he didn't even try to use what he had been given. In other words, he buried his potential and the spiritual gifts that came with it. Now ponder on this. If the master was truly unfair, would he have allowed the servant an opportunity to make a defense for himself? Would the master have entrusted the servant with anything of value, especially 15 to 20 years worth of resources? Would the master have given the servant the freedom to use what didn't even belong to him? Would the master have allowed the servants to have any freedom while he was away for a long time? If the master was selfish or greedy as the servant claimed he was, would he have blessed the other servants with even more as a reward? Was it not the servants who received more and not the master? In fact, isn't it true that the master was only gone for a long time in order to prepare a place for them out from his love for them? The wicked servant claimed to know the master, yet he buried his talent because he was afraid of the master. But if he truly knew the master, would he have feared the master's return? It is written in 1 John 4, 16-19, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have the confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, if the servant had truly known the master, he would have known that the master was loving and desired to see them succeed and be blessed. The master, using the servant's own words against him, proved that even if his words were true, he still neglected to act consistently with his own belief. For if the servant truly believed that the master desired to reap what he didn't sow, then he would have put the money somewhere so it could have earned interest. And so the master became judge and pronounced a guilty verdict. You wicked, lazy slave. The penalty? Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. And so the servant who claimed to know the master ended up being told by the master, I don't know you. Depart from me, just as we see in Matthew 7.23. Do you truly know the Lord? In John 14, 8-15, it is written, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, 
Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so it is clear then, if we truly know the Lord, then we will not fear him. Jesus didn't tell us that if we fear him, we must keep his commandments. Rather, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. We desire to advance the kingdom, not out of fear of a tyrant, but out of love for our Father and love for our neighbors. Love God, love your neighbors. Matthew 22, 36-40. We should use everything we have been given in order to advance the kingdom. This means, of course, that we should do everything as if we're serving the Lord himself, as we see in Colossians 3, 17 and 23, Ephesians 6, 7, and 1 Corinthians 10, 31. We must not make excuses to avoid doing what the Lord has called us to do. What has God called us to do? Well, in general, he called us to do the Great Commission. We are to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the commandments of Christ. Matthew 28, 19-20 In the end, a good tree produces good fruit. Matthew 7, 20 and 12, 33 However, the bad tree, like the fig tree that did not produce fruit, will be cursed, uprooted, and then thrown into the fire. Read Matthew 3:10 or Matthew 15, 13, or 21, 19. And this is exactly how this parable ends. The wicked servant is deemed fruitless and then thrown into the outer darkness. And you can see this outer darkness in many places in Scripture. Matthew 8, 12, 22, 13, or even Luke 13, 28. This is the place of the weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what are you doing with what you have been given? Do you realize what you have been given? Were you not given life? Were you not given time? So what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your time? Were you given a brain? Well, what are you doing with your thoughts? Are you thinking about good or evil? Were you given a voice to speak? What are you doing with your voice? Are you remaining silent when you should be speaking up? Were you given hands? What are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with your money? Do you have a home? Are you inviting people into it? Do you have a vehicle? Are you using it for good purposes? What are you doing with everything you own? Were you blessed with a husband or wife, children? What are you doing with what you have been given? I challenge you to spend time right now to make a list of everything God has given to you. And then after you create this list, I challenge you to spend time praying about how you can use what you have been given to love God and love neighbors as you would love yourself in order to advance the kingdom. Thank you for listening to Picture Scripture by Pointless Thorns Ministries. All Bible study lessons are provided absolutely free of charge to all people who desire to become dedicated disciples of Christ. However, in order to continue long term, we do rely on listener support. 
If you would like to partner with Pointless Thorns Ministries as a financial backer to ensure we can train up as many disciples as possible, you can give either a one-time or monthly tax-deductible donation by visiting pointlessthorns.wordpress.com or by simply clicking the link provided in our bio or about us section. May God continue to bless you as you continue to bless others.